Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. And we're going to talk about uh, COVID-19 and a, a list called List N of uh, it looks like 400 disinfectants that meet EPA's criteria for use against SARS-CoV-2. So uh, we'll talk about that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here today. What's your role and uh, how did you intersect with uh, you know COVID? I study basically chemical exposures and potential effects on human health. And I have my focus is on chemicals that are usually in consumer products that we they were you know we come into contact with in our daily lives, including personal care products, pesticides, and other chemicals. And you know the disinfectants that are being used for COVID are considered pesticides. Oh, really? Pesticides? Huh. Yes. So, what, what are some of the? Uh, I don't know if you lump hand sanitizer in with this, but what are the top disinfectants used? Um, you know, for for SARS-CoV-2 right now. So let's let's take a little step back. So you know, pesticides are designed to repel or kill a particular pest. In this case, you know, the one of the reasons why EPA is responsible for registering disinfectants, and we have this, you know, EPA list N, is because disinfectants are considered pesticides, right? They are biocides, which are designed to kill or repel, in this case, viruses. And as of July 30th of this year, there are over 400 approved products on this list N, a little bit over 200 of them were what they call quats or quaternary ammonium compounds, as well as other um, chemicals. And I want to stress and emphasize that, you know, this is a list of chemicals that could be used as, as disinfectants. However, they've only, you know, manufacturers, in order to get on this list, they only have to prove its efficacy against the virus. Not necess- It doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's on this list that it's safe and it won't increase any risk of uh, long-term health effects. So there is no pre-market safety testing, if you will, of these disinfectants to make it to this list. Well, these disinfectants aren't like new. I mean, what have they been used for historically? You know, they've been used in healthcare settings, for example, um, hospitals and other settings and where, you know, viruses are a concern. Well, I mean, but don't they have a lot of like health effect data from that? Not, not necessarily. Like we don't know what the long-term health effects for a lot of these chemicals are. We do know from some studies, for example, that a lot of these compounds are, you know, respiratory irritants, dermal irritants. There are also some animal studies showing that they could be reproductive toxicants. And we also know from few studies that they can persist in the environment for a long time or in the setting in which they're applied to for a while. Well, I mean, so was this ignored that they were used in in healthcare settings? I mean, how long have they been used in these settings and why would they continue to be used if they could have these adverse effects? That's a great question. I actually don't know the answer to that. So I don't know if, you, if we want to use that question. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's okay if you don't know. I mean, you know, I'm just, that's just surprising. So does it do anything for, I mean, so so who authorized that these chemicals should be used for SARS-CoV-2 or were they just used because that seemed to be like the most accessible thing to do? Like, 
has, has their legal status changed, their health status changed um, by being on this list end or by being reviewed by the EPA? It hasn't changed, you know, and like, you know, the only thing the manufacturers have to submit is whether it's, you know, efficient against, you know, the virus, not again, like no pre-market safety testing in terms of like long-term health effects. Some of the concerns that I have as an exposure scientist is, for example, these disinfectants being applied in schools or other settings where there's vulnerable populations and have, you know, there are other safer, safer alternatives, such as, you know, increased washing of your hands with uh, soap and water is effective against the virus, um, wearing your masks. But there are general concerns in my field, you know, as to potential health outcomes on vulnerable populations, including children, elderly, pregnant women, and children as well. So is your focus to figure out what the health outcomes would be for those vulnerable populations? Or like what what are you working on right now in regards to this? I'm not directly doing COVID research right now. My research, in the, I have looked at other pesticides in the past, and we know from other pesticides that, you know, exposure to pesticides during critical windows of susceptibility, including pregnancy, for example, could have long-lasting health effects in children or increase the risk of different outcomes, including neurodevelopment, such as behavior and cognition. And there have not been a lot of studies, for example, on quads and their effects on children. Okay. Um, So you're in a, I mean, so, okay. So from the point of view of an exposure scientist, what are some of the main things that govern the level of exposure? Like what are the typical avenues of exposure and inhalation of aerosols or like touching a surface and putting your hand in your mouth like what can what can you tell me about how exposure typically happens to the disinfectants yeah right when people when when people you know whether they're cleaning at home or it's a clinical setting hospital setting you know like is that have you studied that like what are the typical methods that these these products get into people sure the, the different routes of exposure are going to depend on the manner in which the product is applied Right. So if you have like somebody is using a fogger, for example, then inhalation might be, you know, a potential route of concern. Also, non-dietary ingestion, such as hand to mouth, if you've touched a contaminated surface, but that's less likely. You know, it's more likely that there's the main route of exposure is through airborne. So inhalation of these chemicals. OK. So, I mean, do you study the volatilization, the vapor pressure of these chemicals? Is it different as they're applied to different surfaces? Like if I spray a cleaner on a vinyl surface versus a tile surface versus, you know, if I'm spraying it up high versus down low, like are there, are there basic cleaning procedures that at least can be communicated to staff that would use the products? So they use them in a way that minimizes aerosolization or, you know, vaporization off surfaces. So always increasing and having good ventilation in indoor spaces is a good procedure and practice. And it really depends on what chemical you're using and to follow the proper um, label, you know, following the labels on, on these products. But in, in general, there are so many things that you have to keep in mind, right? Like who is going to be occupying this space? Do you really need it? Are you ventilating the area while you're performing the cleaning disinfection are you also ventilating the area during other times? So, you know, having good ventilation system is going to be key no matter what you use or not use because you want oh, to make sure you're getting free, you know, fresh air. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, but a lot of these buildings over the past like 30 years, you know, they're, they're made with windows you can't open. So they have air handling systems, which is wonderful. And they may have like, you know, nice filters in them and everything, but still within a given room, if, you're in there and a nurse is in there or the orderly comes in, a janitor starts spraying stuff. Um, 
you know, they don't seem to be too concerned with, with ventilation or anything. They don't, I guess they assume that everything will be fine. Um, uh, what, what else can be done besides like ventilate better when, uh, what if you can't, you know, as a fan enough, what do you do? Like I said, proper hygiene procedures are good. Also, you know, cleaning surfaces, it's, it's very important to clean then to worry about, you know, disinfecting and sanitizing because there, there is a difference between them. What's the difference? So there is a difference. So cleaning refers to, you know, removing the actual dirt and germs and purities from surfaces or objects. And all you need is soap and, you know, water for this. And then there's sanitizing, which reduces the bacteria on surfaces to the levels that are considered generally safe for public health. And then there's disinfecting, which is it just, it's the whole point of disinfecting is to destroy infectious germs and you know viruses and bacteria on different surfaces. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So is the first level of cleaning a surface, cleaning the debris off of it, and a second level, like disinfecting it? Like, how do you, if I've got, That's you know, if I've got a counter with like crap all over it. Yes. I wipe off the counter and now I've cleaned it. And the next step is what I go round two and I spray a compound on it and that's disinfecting what's left. You know, it, it depends on the setting. Like, you know, what people don't realize is that soap and water is very effective against a virus. The virus, basically the virus, the way it works is that it has an outer layer, a lipid layer or fatty layer, if you will. And the soap and water is able to cut through this layer and, you know, destroying the virus. So sometimes cleaning is sufficient depending on the setting. Okay. You know, I haven't asked you this, but what is your opinion of these uh, these quant or these quant uh, cleaners? Are they are they useful? Are they just what's available? Are they dangerous in your opinion? Like, what what do you think about them? So, like I said, these there are over two hundred quats that are approved for use by the EPA. Again, based on their efficacy against the virus, not necessarily any pre market safety testing and potential effects on human health. What we know about them is that they do they can acute effects have been shown such as respiratory effects, dermal, occupational asthma, for example, in cleaners who have used them in the past or even farm workers, as well as reproductive um, outcomes in animal studies. Well, I just think that's kind of weird that they would be approved by the EPA, but yet uh, people don't really fully understand how they could affect human health. That doesn't sound like a very uh, smart thing to do on the EPA's part. I agree. And I think in the in the U.S. in general, we have a reactive rather than a proactive approach when it comes to chemical safety. Unfortunately, a lot of products do not have to, you know, they don't they do not undergo pre-market safety testing. We're often left with, you know, trying to figure out whether they cause a health effect or not after the fact. And it's a misconception that, you know, people assume that because a product is out there, it is safe for human consumption, but it may or may not. You know, oftentimes we don't find out till later on that these products may be associated with health effects. When you talk about vulnerable populations, is there safety data showing that kids or pregnant women or other groups are more vulnerable or? Absolutely. Yes. So in general, right. In general, and this is like for chemicals, chemical exposures in general, women of reproductive age, pregnant women and children tend to be more vulnerable to chemical exposures for many reasons. So number one for pregnant women, their fetus is still developing. And so it could be that exposure to different chemicals during either during the entire pregnancy or during a certain trimester when the fetus is still developing could have long lasting impacts for children for the same reason, you know, they're still developing. For example, the respiratory system of a child does not finish developing until early adolescence. And so chemical exposures during this critical 
window of susceptibility could increase the risk of potential health effects, including respiratory and others. So we have seen that, you know, these are populations that are more vulnerable, if you will, to the potential health effects of different chemicals, including pesticides, which disinfectants fall into the category of pesticides. You know, we have seen both in farm worker populations and urban populations that certain classes of pesticides can have a lasting impact on cognition, for example, and children's behaviors as well. I know. Is there any evidence starting to come out on the, you know, like the, the, the zealous cleaning that seems to be going on everywhere, whether it's effective and whether it's like negatively impacting people's health or at this point, does no one really care yet? There is no, to my knowledge, no human data on potential health effects or, you know, act, that I have actually looked at the health effects in children or other vulnerable populations. However, one concern that we have in our field is that not only are children vulnerable in general, but also you may have a lot of people or children with pre-existing conditions such as asthma, for example. And so, you know, all we're doing is spraying more chemicals into their environment, which may make their asthma worse. So this is something that, that is a concern. Yeah, I have asthma and uh, definitely those chemicals make it worse. So I try to stay away from when they're spraying and I tell them not to do that, you know. Right. And so and a lot of these, you know, the EPA approves them for use depend and they also on the labels make sure that they're they're approving it for a certain application. Right. There's different ways of applying these different pesticides. These quads have been shown to linger and to stay after they've been sprayed for months. That's another concern that we have, that you're prolonging an exposure, and depending on how often there's reapplication going on, then we're talking about, you know, increasing somebody's exposure who's occupying these spaces in which these chemicals are being applied. Yeah, that's insane. What about the, uh, you know, the microbes um, associated with I mean, I, I don't know. Have they looked at? Has have studies been done to look at surfaces pre-spray and post-spray, and then ones that are sprayed regularly? What happens to the microbes that tend to gather there? I'm sure it it changes them quite a bit, and ones that are resistant to the quats uh, start to accumulate there. So you know, in general, I feel like there's this misconception that if we spray or we go in and fog, that it's going to quote unquote clean the air and disinfect the air. However that's not necessarily the case. It's not going to necessarily clean the air. The particle physics behind it is going to prevent most of these particles from colliding with each other. In other words, from the chemical reaching the virus particles. And also, depending on how it's sprayed or applied, for example, a fogger, it doesn't efficiently cover surfaces. So it it depends on many factors such as direction of the spray, the particle size, the distance, and other factors as well. So it creates a sense of, you know, a false sense of security, if you will. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you sense is the um, the sensitivity of even talking about this stuff? Do you think that you know, if you wanted to do research on it, would it be approved? Or in this climate, everyone's like just plain stuff, and they're they're going crazy with cleaning, and they don't care. Like, do you think that there's even any desire of anyone to consider that these could be harmful right now? I get, you know, I the, the priority it seems like the general public of like you know not. Con- not getting the virus, right? So I think that the use of cleaners, the uses of disinfectants is not really a topic that's being paid a lot of attention to, right? We're worried more about killing the virus and not like other repercussions or, or other um, things that could happen as a result of us using all these, you know, this arsenal of different chemicals in different spaces. Would research like this be approved? I, I, I believe so. I don't, I think they're here to stay for a while. 
and it all depends on the course of how we're able to contain the virus, you know, vaccine development, et cetera. But I think this should be looked at, right? Like the effects of quaternary murine compounds on human health, if they are going to be continued to be used. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Interesting. Are there other studies of people that like, you know, I always wonder about people, those poor people that work in nail salons, breathing in that crap for months and years. Are there studies of people that work in environments that use tons of, of these cleaners all the time and what happens to their health, their cardiovascular or other health? To my knowledge, I have not seen studies focusing on these populations on disinfectants. I am actually doing some work on the side, trying to start studying ex- chemical exposures among, for example, hairdressers. Yeah, that's crazy. They should. I mean, you know, Absolutely. I, I can't imagine that. Again, imagine you work in a nail salon or you're a hairdresser and you're spraying a hairspray, you know, 50 times a day and breathing that stuff in. And those places are never ventilated properly. You know, it's always like, wow, I, I just can't imagine that, uh, that those people don't have like massive health problems over time. You know? So, so what, what are, what are some studies that you'd love to do? You know, I would love to look at what are the potential health effects of these quaternary ammonium compounds long-term on populations that have had to use them, for example, cleaners, right? We've, there has been an increase in use, not only in cleaners, but also healthcare workers. And because of a general lack of knowledge and the, the need, for example, to reuse personal protective equipment, for example, there was a case in Washington state where healthcare workers were wearing face shields and they were actually cleaning them inside with a lot of these harsher disinfectants, which is like the most awful thing to do, right? Like you're constantly breathing that in all day. Like I said, these, depending on the material in which the disinfectant is sprayed on, it could last longer than intended. And so, you know, there are other alternatives. And I think we need to start raising awareness as to what better alternatives are rather than using these harsher chemicals, especially when we're talking about extremely vulnerable populations, for example, those who already have pre-existing conditions like asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you know, COPD or any other health issues as well as, you know, children and pregnant women or women of reproductive age. Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. Well, very good. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, and I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.